I encourage you, whenever we see these qualifications, if you are in church leadership, I always examine my life once again and say, Lord, where am I lacking? What are the areas that I need to bring up? And then also for you that are here that are single, that you'd say, Lord, help me grow into these areas. I don't know anyone that has a hobby that they say, you know what, I just want to be mediocre at this. Whenever I've seen the guys playing football, they always say they want to be like Messi or someone else. They don't say that they want to be a, a guy that's riding the bench that never sees playing time. So for you young men, you should desire to have these characteristics within your life. Because if you're a believer, you should strive for excellence in your life. You should strive for holiness in your life. It's only going to be a blessing to you and to your family. And it's going to be a blessing that you're going to reap on this earth and a blessing that we will reap in heaven as well. So Paul tells, Timoth tells Titus that he left him in Crete. He left him there in Crete alone. And we read in verse 12 what the Cretan people were like. He says, one of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Now, could this be said of Kenyans? It could be said of Miamians. It could be said of Miamians and people that live in Miami, definitely. But it seems as if in each city, this is the true character of the cities we live in. And yet, Titus is left alone in Crete to put things in order, even though this is the way most of the men and the women lived in the city. He left him there that he would set in order the things that are lacking. He's to pay attention and see, okay, what is missing in this city? What is missing within the church? And he cannot do it alone. He needs other men in leadership to do the work of God together. I know that elders, deacons, bishops, it's something near and dear to the heart of your pastor as well. And a church should have multiple men within leadership to carry this great load. Being within authority of a church, it is an incredible blessing and it is also something that we have to be ready for. God's word tells us that a teacher will be held to a higher standard and a stricter judgment. And desiring to be in church leadership is not bad. And some men are qualified to be in it. However, what God looks for is the character of a man more so than the gifts of a man. That word bishop is literally an overseer of the church. When speaking of church leadership, the Bible also uses words like elder, deacon, shepherd, pastor. Some of them are specific roles. Some of them are used interchangeably. A bishop is an overseer or a manager of a specific ministry or a specific aspect within the ministry. He manages perhaps the children's ministry. They manage the men's ministry and they could be a bishop. An elder literally speaks of a more mature person within the church, both in age and in spiritual age. And I know that your church, a lot like our church in Miami, has a lot of young men that desire leadership. And our God, he's a great God that is in the habit of making young men and women old in the things of the Lord quickly. As you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. So it's not just about age. It's about how much time are you spending with the Lord. 
Ultimately, what God desires is for men that desire to shepherd the flock of God. That is to care for the flock, to feed the flock, to tend the flock, to at times defend the flock. Sometimes you've got to defend the flock from one another. They're trying to bite each other and snap at each other and you have to separate them. Sometimes you have to shear them and clip them a little bit. We can be reminded of Jesus when he restores Peter to the ministry in John 21. How he tells him, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, and feed my sheep. We are to feed the children. So important that we feed the children spiritual food. We are to tend and care for the flock and everyone within the flock. And most importantly, we need to feed the flock of God. And there's only one type of feed within church for the flock. And that is the Word of God. The Word of God is what feeds us. The Word of God is what cleanses us. The Word of God is what matures us. The Word of God is what sustains us. It's so important to be within the Word of God. We can turn to Acts chapter 20. And Acts chapter 20 verse 28 will show us that it is not a man who picks or elects bishops or overseers or elders but it is God himself that does so, and then the pastors of the church should be able to recognize the calling and the election that God has placed upon a man. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, it says, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. It is God himself that makes a man into an overseer and into an elder. It is God alone that can do that. And if you change to a different ministry or a different church, God will put that calling upon your life. And it is to shepherd the church of God, which is not purchased by pastors. It does not belong to me. It does not belong to Pastor Josh. But we'll see in a moment we are managing a group of people that belong to Jesus Christ. We are managing and loving and shepherding a family that I'm a part of, but ultimately I will have to stand before God and he will say, Zach, how did you manage my flock? A quote by Adam Clark, he says, these were men with leadership and authority in the church. The state has its monarch and the church has its bishop. One should govern according to the laws of the land and the other according to the word of God. The, the rule book, the laws to govern a church are all found here in scripture. We can turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1 and we see Paul, he mentioned some very similar things to his other son in the faith, Timothy. And here he says in verse 1, 1 Timothy 3, if a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. It's not an evil thing for you young men to say, I hope to one day be able to be in church leadership. 
It is a good desire. In fact, Paul calls it a good work. And I think that's so important because church and Christianity have, should, have, should have no room for lazy Christians or lazy leadership because it is a work. It takes labor, it takes effort, both physically and mentally and absolutely spiritually. Charles Spurgeon, he says, what is the use of a lazy minister? He is no good either to the world, to the church, or to himself. He is a dishonor to the noblest profession that can be bestowed upon the sons of men. There should be no lazy pastors or ministers or elders or deacons or bishops. It takes work. And we should be willing to put in that work because it is a spiritual work. And because it's a spiritual work, it means that we get to take part of an eternal work. The, the work that's happening here, it's not just something that we're going to taste of in these five years or the next 10 years or 30 years and then I retire. No, it's something that we will be tasting of till the end of the age. It's a work which requires the Holy Spirit. Because none of us are capable of doing this in and of our own strength. Very quickly, the ministry will expose our weaknesses. And if we bring those weaknesses to God, he will show his strength on our behalf. God is not looking for the most gifted man. He's not looking for the most perfect man. God is looking for humble men of good character. That's what God is seeking, humble men of good character. And a church leader needs to have three things in order. His personal life, his home life, and then his public life in that order. His personal life, his home life, and his public life. We'll look at that as we look through these verses. God can work through a man that is not necessarily the most gifted as long as he is biblical and as long as he has good character. However, God will not work through a man who is gifted if he is not biblical and has a bad character. A man like that has no business within church leadership. Perhaps he'll, uh, I think it's Spurgeon that says that they are firework, they are bright, they shine brightly, and then sooner or later they just dim and burn away. But a man that is truly going to be used by God will be humble and have good character. 1 Corinthians 1.26 tells us that God chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Now, if you're humble, you love that verse. If you're prideful, perhaps you're a little mad at that verse. But every man that's used by God is foolish. God, that's what he loves to use. Foolish and weak and base things of this world. God chooses that he would get all the glory. I think of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, how God tells Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Don't allow your weaknesses to hold you back from how much God desires to use you. Focus on him. Focus on the power of God. That's why Paul says, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We jump back to Titus chapter 1 verse 6. He says, if the man is blameless. We need to be blameless 
to work and to manage God's people. Now, being blameless, it doesn't mean that someone is perfect. It, it literally, it means no handle for blame. There's not a handle that sticks to the pastor that blame can be thrown at him. It literally means that blame cannot stick to him because he's a man of character. And we need to realize blame will be thrown at us. People say terrible things in the ministry. People that you love, people that you care about. I was just talking earlier how a man that wants to be used by God needs to have the heart of a child, the mind of a scholar, and the skin of a rhinoceros. you got to have thick skin because people are going to say terrible things about you. I know Pastor Josh, he's been called a colonist, a tribalist, and all sorts of other things. But because he is blameless, those things don't stick to him. People are going to say crazy things, but if we are blameless, their accusations will not stick. The people who truly know us will know that they're lies. He needs to be the husband of one wife. Now, not necessarily that he needs to be married. It is that he is a one-woman type of man. It is a man that knows what marriage is, and he gives it the reverence and honor that it deserves. It is a man who is not a flirt. It is not a man who is a womanizer. I would say it is not a man that is into pornography because he is a one-woman type of man. And sadly, there are many even married men within ministries, married men who are pastors that are truly not a one-woman type of man. If not, we would not hear of a pastor falling morally each month and each year. Men, I encourage you, whether you want to be in church leadership or not, be careful. What, what are you looking at on social media? What, what chat rooms? What are you doing on social media? Direct messages. Be a one-woman type of man in every aspect of your life. Are you being holy as he is holy? Or are you making excuses for the movies that you're watching, saying it's just one scene, it's just one minute, it's just one clip? Be a one-woman type of man so that when blame is thrown at you, it cannot stick to you. I also think it's interesting that to be in church leadership, God, uh, Paul tells us to be a one-woman type of man, to be a husband of one wife. I'm not sure how the Catholic Church deals with this. As they say, you can't be married and be in church leadership. Uh, but that's what Josh will be talking about in the next service, I think. So you can ask him. Having faithful children... Not accused of dissipation or insubordination. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4 and 5, it says, One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Now people, they either take this to one extreme and if a man's children are not perfect angels, they say he shouldn't be in leadership. Or they take it to another extreme and they say, ah, it doesn't really matter. The children are children. We must strike a good balance. I believe scripture reveals to us that as long as a child is living in the home of this church leader, they should be living a biblical life. They should be because of the rules and regulations within the home, that father should be saying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And our home is governed by the law of God. He needs to be a good leader at home. Not a perfect man with perfect children. 
We know that even great mayors, great governors, great presidents, there's still crime within their nations. There's still crime within their neighborhoods. However, they deal with it righteously. So to be a man in leadership, you should discipline your children biblically. And they should, as long as they're living in your home, should be living a life that would honor God. Uh, verse 7, a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money. We spoke to this earlier. A steward of God is someone managing something that does not belong to him. We should not become possessive of the people in the church or of the ministries within the church. We should have an open hand within the ministry. I should be seeking to raise up other godly men that can hopefully do a better job than I have. That it would honor and glorify the Lord. Because one day I will have to give an account to God for how I have stewarded and managed his sheep. We are managing something that belongs to God. Hopefully when you borrow something from someone, maybe someone lent you their car, hopefully you bring that car back in the same or better condition. You don't bring the car back with the bumper off and all the gas gone and dirty. Hopefully you bring things that are borrowed back in similar to better condition. How much more should men in church leadership pay careful attention to the management of God's people, to the management of God's money, and to the management of God's house? Then he says, someone who is not self-willed. Being self-willed, I think each of us, we know that one person in our friend group, it's someone that always wants things done their way. It has to be exactly what they want and how they want and when they want. And friends, selfish people are not cut out for the ministry. If you're a selfish person and not willing to bring that to the cross of Christ and put that to death, you're not cut out for the ministry. Christ-like people are those who are called and cut out for the ministry. We know that Jesus Christ in Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 made himself of no reputation. He took on the form of a bondservant and came in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Do things always have to be your way? Or are you willing to just go with the flow and with what others are saying as long as it's biblical? Uh, a scripture that blows my mind is Hebrews chapter 5 verse 8. It says, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Christ was not self-willed. He desired, he said, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. He prays that prayer three times in Gethsemane. But what was the end of that prayer? Not my will, yours be done. What an example of not being self-willed. Adam Clark says, it's not one who is determined to have his own way in everything. Setting up his own judgment to that of all others, expecting others to pay homage to their understanding. It's just a lot of pride. Next is someone who is not quick-tempered. 
Some with, someone with a short fuse, someone who's always simmering and just looking for any reason to blow up. I know you guys play basketball. In America, lots of people get into fights over basketball. And there are men that are just simmering. They're looking for any reason to blow up and explode. That type of man should not be within the ministry. We know that the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22 tells us, contains long-suffering and kindness and gentleness and self-control. A man that has an anger problem should not be in church leadership. There's areas where they can serve, but they should not be in church leadership. Next, not given to wine. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure how churches today do their scriptural gymnastics to get around this one. But there's no room for a pastor to be drinking. There's no room, in my opinion, for church leadership to be drinking. Especially those that are collecting their paycheck from the tithes of the people. I know that the tithes of the people, some very poor people, some older women that barely have money for their groceries, they're tithing to the church. How can I in good conscience take money from a poor widow and say, I'm going to go buy some alcohol with this. I'm going to go to the Johnny Walker afterwards, after church, and go take a couple drinks because I had such a stressful time in ministry. There is no room for it. Ephesians 5.18 tells us, tells all believers, not just church leadership, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. I believe that the more you are filled with wine, the less you're going to be governed by the Holy Spirit. And if we already said we are doing a spiritual work and we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to do this spiritual work, how dare pastors try to make excuses and reasons for drinking wine and alcohol? I mean, how many of us were into drugs and alcohol before we were saved? Anyone here? That's what your life used to look like? How dare we make excuses to go back there to cause others to stumble? May we fight the good fight and realize we can have fun, we can have a good time without any alcohol. We've had an incredible time here this week, not a drop of alcohol. We've had an incredible time of work, but not too much stress. We don't need a cup of wine at the end of the day to calm us down. You also don't want a man who's drunk on money or drunk for power or drunk for women managing people within the church. I mean, how many of us would like to go to a business where the managers are drunk? Would you like to go to a bank where the man who's managing your money is constantly drunk and plastered? I, quite frankly, would rather put my money somewhere else. How much more for those who are serving God's people and managing his house? Luke 16, 13 tells us, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. We know Jesus is speaking about loving God and loving money, but I think the same can be applied to pastors that are trying to make room for alcohol within the church and within the ministry. Next characteristic, it's a man who is not violent. He's not violent. He's not cutting off people in traffic and getting out of the car and getting in a fight. Hey, did you see Pastor Josh? Yeah, he got in a huge fight in the middle of traffic. 
That, that's not right. That didn't happen today. It's not what happened today. Because it's not becoming of a man in church leadership. We should look like Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2 verse 23, we think of Christ who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. William Barclay tells us that the Greeks themselves widened the meaning of this word violence to not only mean violence in action, but also violence in speech. I'm not sure about the church here in Kenya, but all over the church in America, there are pastors who are abusing their staff verbally, cussing out their staff, chewing them out, exploding on them, being violent with their speech. The, the disciples did lots of stupid things. The disciples did lots of terrible things. God, should we rain down fire from heaven upon these people? And yet he dealt with them sternly, but never to the point where his words were violent towards them. The next, not greedy for money. Lots of pastors, lots of name it and claim it and wealth. They have no room within the ministry because they are greedy for the money. A pastor should be living among the means of his people or somewhere within the range of his people. John Calvin, he says, the man who will not bear poverty patiently and willingly will inevitably become the victim of mean and sordid covetousness. If he's not willing to say, Lord, whatever you provide for me, I'm good with it, sooner or later, covetousness will drive him within the ministry and within his home. The church should not be looked at the place where men get rich. It's a place where God's people should be taken care of and blessed with the word of God, where children and widows and the sick should be taken care of. Verse 8, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, and self-controlled. You see this often within the New Testament. We'll get a list of things we ought not to be doing, and then we get a list of things that we should be doing. Things we should push out of our lives and then another list of things we should cling to and begin doing in our lives. So the first one is hospitable. It is someone who's generous and friendly in treating guests. It is someone who is pleasant and inviting. Someone who's offering a pleasant and healthful environment. So much of church leaders lack hospitality being hospitable, and it is so important for the life of a ministry that its leaders are hospitable. Perhaps they're home, they do the best you can. You can't invite 40 people, invite one person and be hospitable. They actually like people. If you're in the ministry, you should like people. You should love people. You should be a lover of strangers. Jesus, we know he loved those who were closest to him. And then he also loved those that he just met. Even cooking fish and chips for the disciples when he returned. We ought to be hospitable if we are in church leadership. You get to learn so much about people and you get to love on them. I think one of the reasons why some pastors don't want to be hospitable is because their home wouldn't be a pleasant or a healthful environment for people to visit. And because they don't want to deal with that area in their home, they don't want to bring people over and be vulnerable to the truth 
of where, the, where they are at. Next, a lover of what is good. I think of Romans chapter 12, verse 9. It tells us, abhor what is evil and cling to that which is good. Abhor what is evil. It, it should cause us to gag. It should make us want to throw up. And so often we make excuses for watching evil things, watching evil movies, taking it in. No, we should abhor that. It should cause our spirit and our souls to be disgusted. And instead we should be clinging to what is good. Love what is good. Love the word of God. Love the people of God. Love people getting baptized. Children being happy and excited coming to church. Be a lover of what is good. Next is sober-minded. So the opposite of having wine and alcohol within the pastor, within the ministry, we ought to be sober-minded. This doesn't just speak of not being influenced by drugs or alcohol, but it speaks of a certain seriousness within the ministry. Not that the pastor can't have a good laugh or a good sense of humor. I think it's very important to last in the ministry. But it is a man who is able to take the work of God seriously. He's not careless with it. He's not careless with something that is so important to the heart of God. It is a man that's able to, to think clearly and with clarity. He sees the value and the weight and the holiness in the work that he is doing. Warren Wiersbe says he knows the value of things and does not cheapen the ministry or the gospel message by his foolish behavior. Foolish behavior, bad character, it sort of, not sort of, it does, it weakens the power of the preaching of the minister and of the pastor. If my life is in question, my words will lack their power. We need to be sober-minded. Another way to look at this is a man who is not prone to panic. Instead, he follows the call of God and the word of God. It is a man that's able to push through fear in order to follow the call of God and the word of God. And ladies, that's where I tell you these characteristics, it's what you want in a man. Do you want when there's something scary outside, your husband asks you to go outside and see what's going on? Honey, there's someone at the gate. I don't know who it is. Honey, you go find out. Take the kids with you. No, you want a man that is sober-minded. He's not prone to panic. He's able to push through the fear and follow the call of God and the word of God. We saw this evidently during COVID when there were many pastors that were too fearful to follow God's word and follow what was needed. They were too worried about them getting sick or they themselves dying, always staying away from people because they were germaphobes or whatever other excuse they used. They allowed fear and panic to run their lives and run the church. There's no room for that within the ministry. We need to be serious about the ministry and serious in following the call of God and the word of God. Then he says, a man who is just, holy, and self-controlled. David Guzik says, a pastor or a leader within the church must be just, which means he's right towards men. He must be holy, which means he's right towards God. And he needs to be self-controlled, which means that he is right towards himself. Again, our private life needs to be in order. Our home life needs to be in order. And our public life 
needs to be in order as well. I said this story to the young adults a few weeks ago. I was in vacation about three hours away from where I live. I was sitting on a beach with my family. We go to this area once a year to vacation. And I'm sitting on the beach and there's a stranger that keeps turning at me and staring at me. Now Josh told me in Kenyan culture, if someone stares at you, it doesn't mean anything. It's not weird. But in America, if you stare at someone for long periods of time, it is very weird. They want to fight you or they're looking at you funny. Something's happening. And this man keeps staring at me, keeps staring at me, keeps staring. I literally turned to my wife and said, what's this guy's problem? Why does he keep staring at me? And he walks up, walking back to where we were staying. And he says, what a small world. Fancy seeing you here. And then I turned to my wife and say, who in the world is that? Sure enough, it's a gentleman that his daughter and his wife have been coming to the church for the last six months. And his wife and daughters have been praying that he would begin to come to the church. So what would have happened if I would exploded on that man? Who do you think you are staring at me? What would have happened if I was there at the beach drinking a bunch of beers, hanging out because I'm on vacation, no one's around? That's why our public life needs to be in order. And for every believer, when you can live a life above reproach, it's just a lot less stressful. I can hand my phone to any of you and not be stressed out. I have nothing to hide. I can take you with me to Kenya on vacation and within my home. I'm not stressed out because I'm doing my best. I fail, I fall short, but I'm doing my best to live a life that is just and holy and self-controlled. And the world may mock you. Other believers may mock you saying that you're too strict or you're too stern, you're too stuck up, but you can be at peace with God and at peace in your life. All believers ought to live a life that is right towards men, right towards God, and right towards himself. If a man has no self-control, what business does he have managing God's people? If a man cannot manage his own home, what business does he have managing the house of God? If a man cannot manage his own bride, what business does he have managing the bride of Christ? And if a man cannot manage his own body, what business does he have managing the body of Christ? Matthew Henry says, how unfit are those who govern a church who cannot govern themselves? Brothers, we need to grow in self-control in all areas of life. Because if you cannot govern yourself or your own house, you have no business governing the church of God. Finally, verse 9, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine, both to exhort and to convict those who contradict. It is a man that is holding on to the faithful word of God first and foremost in his personal life, then in the life of his family, and then in his life outside the walls of his home and the church, so that he can hold fast to the word within the church. We are managing the house of God and God's people. And that's why a church leader ought to be well-versed with the faithful word of God and clinging to the word of God. We need to hold on to God's word above all else. Not our culture, not our family, not what we've always known. Hold on to the faithful word early church father Christosom, he says, there's no need of fancy words. 
but of strong minds, of skill in the scripture and of powerful thoughts. We need strong minds and skill within the scripture and powerful thoughts, not just fancy words. One of the best places for men to be in ministry is teaching the children. Very quickly, a man will learn fancy words won't go that far when you're teaching kids. But if you are spirit-filled and skilled in the scripture and have powerful thoughts, you can have even children learning the word of God. He should do this as he's been taught. One of the dangers we have today because of technology is you can start pulling and taking doctrine and teaching from all over the world. I can start listening to and feeding on the word of God from probably hundreds of thousands of pastors. But who is the man that's been pouring into your life? Who is the man or the woman for you ladies that's been pouring into your life during the good, the bad, and the ugly? Don't discount them and their teaching. How have they taught you the word of God? Allow them and the word of God that they teach you, teach you. Unless it's unbiblical, you should hold fast to the teachings of your home church and of the people that are discipling you. That he may be able, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and to convict those who contradict. With the word of God, a church leader should be able to do both. He should be able to exhort and he should be able to convict those who contradict. Not just those within the church, those outside the church that contradict. And at times there are people in church that are contradicting as well. A manager and leader within the church should be able to exhort, which means he should be able to encourage you to do what God's word says. And he should be able to convict you, which means he should be able to discourage you to stop living in sin or contradicting the word of God. Martin Luther, he says, a preacher must be both a soldier and a shepherd. He must nourish and defend and yet teach. He must have his teeth in his mouth and be able to bite and to fight. You need to be able to be well-versed in several things. John Calvin, one of my favorite verses on being a minister, says the pastor ought to have two voices, one for gathering sheep and another for warding off and driving away the wolves and the sheep. The scriptures supply him with the means of doing both. And that's why men, you want to grow, you want to grow, you want to mature, be in sound doctrine. Be in the word of God. Are you within the word of God? Are you studying it? Are you following it? Do you have a hunger and thirst for it? Because it will supply you with the needs to care and love on little babies and also supply you with the needs of warding off the thieves and the wolves coming to eat and consume the household of God. But hey, let's pray and we'll see what the rest of the evening has for us. Lord, we thank you for your word and Lord, I pray. I pray for each and every one of the ladies here, Lord, especially for the single ladies, Lord, that you would bring them a, a man, Lord, that is able to manage both his body, his home, and even the church, Lord. Lord, help each of us to strive for excellence, Lord. First and foremost, within our own lives, within our homes, and within our service to you, Lord. Lord, forgive us for giving our best to the world and to carnal things, Lord. 
Help us to truly give our best to you and to your people. And Lord, just a prayer for Calvary Chapel Elderet, a prayer for GCM, Lord. May you continue to call and bring men, Lord, that are these faithful men that by sound doctrine are able to both encourage and convict those that contradict. So Lord, we just love you. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Amen.